Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Gol del Arsenal, remonta el Arsenal, Giroud, Giroud, marcó Giroud. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James Fuff from Gunner Blog? James. Yeah, yeah. James, James. Fuff. I don't know where the extra foof came from there. I apologise. Uh, but anyway, good morning to you. Good morning. I mean, I think we're all feeling a bit foof this morning, aren't mm. we? I th- uh, you know, fuff, I think fuff, that's fucking a... what is going on? fuck's sake. Anyway, I think we better start this uh, particular podcast with the big news, James. Mm. The big transfer news that is breaking as we speak. Oh, something that will get everybody very excited. Carl Jenkinson and Cohen Bramall are going to Birmingham City on loan. Wow. Is that a, is that a done deal? Well, it's a Wheeler dealer Harry Redknapp deal. That's what it is. It's on the verge of being completed, according to sources, reports. The Arsenal fullback duo are going to sign uh, for Birmingham City on loan. Jenkinson in the final year of his contract. Cohen Bramall in the first year of his his Arsenal career. And they're going to spend a, a, f- a formative, developmental... There's another f- 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 formative, developmental time at Birmingham City, after which Jenkinson, I assume, will leave. And I also assume that uh, Cohen Bramall will leave. I'm not being uh, uh, hasty here. And, uh, of course, I want to give the guy every chance. But if he ever plays more than 10, games for Arsenal, I'll be very surprised. But good luck to him out there. And it is, of course, exciting transfer news to get this podcast started. Well, that's it. And I also just saw uh, via Arsblog News that Tuba Akpom has been linked with a loan move to Celtic. So it, It's all happening. It's all happening. It's one happening. in the eye for anyone who says this last week of the window won't be the most interesting, I think. For I think sure. You know, we're all learning stuff this morning. I mm. mean, wow, Carl Jenkins, that feels quite telling, doesn't it, that he that he might be going down to a championship club rather than a Premier League club. I mean, uh, probably not what he was hoping for, but there you go. No, particularly when he had the chance to join Crystal Palace, didn't he, last mm. January? And there were issues, I think, uh, over his over his wages. Maybe there was more to it than that. I think there might have been a bit more to it than that. But, uh, yeah, he, he could have been playing for Crystal Palace and now he's going to be playing for Birmingham City. Maybe Birmingham have got a good chance of promotion. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it does feel a bit telling, and obviously a master tactician as well. Well, of course, of course, run around a bit, and that's what he's good at. In fairness, Carl, he's very good at running. Yeah, mm. I actually think Carl Jenkinson is. It probably wouldn't be a bad wing back, you know, in the new Arsenal system because it's mainly running, isn't it? Running and crossing, and if there's anything he can do, it's those. That's it. That's it. The defending seems to be irrelevant at this point, anyway, by the uh, yeah. by the state of this season. So, uh, anyway, look, are we just are we just uh, 
delaying the inevitable. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Are we distracting ourselves from what we really have to talk about? Are we? I think we are. I guess so. I guess so. I guess so. Um, I watched the game in Scotland, and let me tell you, the Scottish weather did little to improve my mood throughout it. Uh, were, it you, were you watching day. it outside? Yeah. <laughs> I was no, sitting but I was there within... in the rain like, oh, this is fucking even worse. How could you make a defeat to Stoke even worse? I've got to sit outside on a, what, on a stoop on the step outside of a house or... Yeah, no, uh, watching in through someone else's window because oh, they had worse. BT Sport. Turn it off! Face pressed against the glass, oh. soaked through. Uh, but, you know, I, it was... It was quite a bleak, quite a bleak evening, wasn't it, all in mm. all? It was. It was quite a bleak evening. Those 5.30 kickoffs, I don't like them on a Saturday evening. I just don't like them. There's something, I don't know, they're kind of like mushrooms to me. Go on. Right. I, I'm not a big fan of mushrooms. I've I don't got, like mushrooms. I've got this fundamental dislike of them, but every so often I can have some mushrooms and I think they're okay, maybe with a bit of breakfast or maybe with a steak, provided that they're they're cooked in the right way. Uh, I, I can deal with one or two mushrooms, but just at the very core of it, I have an aversion to mushrooms. And Is it I'm, the sliminess? Or? Yeah, kind of. It's a texture thing. And then I think there's just something primal, isn't there, that there's a, a suspicion of fungus that you think, well, could this be the poison one? Could this be the poison mushroom? That you know, exactly. Like in the fairy tales, you know, the guy, the prince ate the mushroom and then he died, and Snow White came along, and the seven dwarves like did things to him while he was asleep. So I'm suspicious of mushrooms in general, mm. but I can't, sh- I can't shake it, and I have this suspicion, this natural aversion to five thirty kickoffs on a Saturday evening. I don't, I just can't explain it any better than that, and that's a really terrible explanation. Yeah, well, it's fair enough. I mean, in theory, they're good things. You know, 5.30, you're into the evening, you know, have a couple of beers, watch the game. But I don't know. It never seems to pan out that way, especially especially for us and especially away from home. Oh, right. Well, where do we start with this one? Do we start with... Let's the start, team selection. Yes, let's start with the team selection. <laughs> what did you make of the decision not to start Per Mertesacker in a game that, to my mind, was absolutely perfect for him to start in? Perfect. No pun intended. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I thought it was bizarre. And actually, it th- makes me think back to last week. I know that, you know, apparently he wasn't physically ready, but the player himself had felt he was against Leicester, wasn't involved, then he was ready this week, wasn't in the starting lineup. Mustafi was in there for holding. I could see some semblance of sense in that, but Kolasinac and Monreal staying in. I mean, I really was staggered to see that. I really, really thought that we might take that step of playing centre-backs at centre-back this time. Crazy idea. Crazy idea. But I can't... I, You know, to me, it makes me think that Arsene Wenger no longer trusts Per Mertesacker as a player. Uh, I think I could you're s- right. If I could see the sense of last week where he's just had four days after having 12 stitches in his head, I can see that. But if he can't pick him for a game against Stoke, like perfect game for him, because it's not like you were playing against speedy attackers who are going to run rings around him. Put him in there as the anchorman in a back three where you've got Mustafi on one side, you've got Monreal on the other side. You move, ah, here, before we get on with this, I was going to say his name. Um, I had another slew of emails from people telling me that we're pronouncing... uh, the, the name of this guy wrong. So here is the man himself t- saying how to pronounce it. So hang on. This is how you say my name. 
Seat Kolasinac. Kolasinac. So we're going to just... Kolasinac. Kol- okay. Kolasinac. 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 The on the C. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But anyway, so then you have Kolasinac on the, the left-hand side, and you've got one of Bellerin and Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right-hand side, and to me then that makes a very uh, well-balanced back three and back five. So mm. if he's not picking him for this game, it suggests that he he has real doubts about using him. I agree. I agree. And and I I think those doubts, you know, were there when Per came back from injury last season. It wasn't like Arsene hurried him into the first team squad. In fact, he he barely gave him a minute until he was absolutely forced to in the cup final. Yeah. Did you read the I, 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 interview with him in the in the Guardian? There was a great interview with him did, in yeah, the Guardian. Really like fantastic. Uh, look it up. I think it's by Stuart James who did the interview. It was in the Guardian last week. And and Mertesacker is talking about. Look, I'm training every day. I'm training and training. I'm not being given a chance. I'm not being included in the squad. And you know that included some cup games. It included some games where you feel like or you felt like he could certainly make a contribution. Particularly when we went to three at the back last season and when things were wrong. So it says to me that Arsene Wenger no longer trusts Per Mertesacker as a player. And I think that's a shame. And I think the cup final appearance uh, makes that even more hard to understand because he was absolutely brilliant. And I know that he's in the last year of his playing career. I know that he's getting on a bit. But it showed that for 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 certain games, Mertesacker is a great option as the anchor man in a back three. And I think the Stoke game was was certainly one of those games. As it was, then we have Monreal doing a job that he's not capable of doing. I don't think he is. I like Monreal. We both like Monreal as a player. And in a back three, I think he's excellent as one of the the, the men either side. Well, obviously to the left-hand side of, of the, of the well, not the sweeper, but that middle center half. He's really, really good there, but he's not really, really good as, as that middle center half. Yeah, I mean, I thought what was crazy was that against Leicester, what we really lacked was seniority, experience, familiarity with that central, central defensive (laughs) area. And we had a chance to put that back in and we didn't. I mean, on the Mertzaka thing, I think he was absolutely brilliant in the FA Cup final and there won't be a single Arsenal fan who'll deny that. You have to do. You have to wonder if Arsene Wenger is seeing something else on the training ground that's making him a little bit reluctant to, to put him back into the side. But if that is the case then why is he part of the squad? Do you know what I mean? Why have we not replaced him? If Arsene doesn't think he's good enough to play, then why, you know, it's an odd situation. It's a very odd situation. Well, we're in an odd situation with our central defenders anyway, aren't we? Because he's left Rob Holding out now after one bad game, which you wonder, I mean, I've got visions of Callum Chambers going on there. Even though Arsene Wenger spoke about it at that Football Riders event, he said, you know, young centre-halves, I know they're going to cost me points at some point. But, you know, Holding didn't cost us points. To have left him out of the squad altogether, I have to question whether that's the the right move for for the lad's confidence. He doesn't seem to rate Callum Chambers who hasn't even been in the squad. He sold Gabriel. And I think we're in a position, if he doesn't trust Mertesacker or if he doesn't want to play Mertesacker, then we're really, really light on central defenders. Do you think he really likes Kolasinac as a centre-half? I hope not. (laughs) Like, I I like him as a player. Um, And I think he's... I I would assume that he was bought for the left-hand side. You know, that's, mm. that was my thinking. He was bought to be the left-sided wing-back. That's what Arsene Wenger talked about him. He said, we watched him. He's very good in the final third. He provides assists. If that's what you want, if that's why you've bought the player, goddamn fucking play him there. 
don't play Hector Bellerin there where he is restricted because he's a right-footed player playing on the left-hand side. I mean, yeah. why, why are you playing Bellerin there? To play Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right-hand side? You know, I, it was uh, it was bad. I think the team selection was was bad at the back, even if the issues I think we had in the game, the bigger issues we had were, were further forward, where we just couldn't take our chances. But I just couldn't get my head around that, that, that uh, team selection. What did you make of the substitutions as well? Substitutions were odd, weren't they? I, f- I forget precisely who came on for who now. Okay, but, Giroud uh, came on for Kolasinac. Yeah, that was strange because that kept Bellerin as a left-back effectively, didn't it? When yeah. you could have, you had two left-backs available <laughs> to play in that position and that you kept Bellerin out there. Mm. So that was a really odd one. Mm. Um, and then I thought, you know, I understand the need to bring Giroud on because he's a guy who can get you a goal, as he showed against Leicester and numerous times last season coming off the bench. He was a guy who could get you a goal. But I thought taking Kolasinac off was the wrong move there. He should have taken either Bellerin or Oxlade-Chamberlain off and left mm-hmm. Kolasinac on the left-hand side, where that's his natural position. It gives you some natural width, the ability to cross the ball from the left-hand side, get to the byline, uh, you know, stick it in the box for Giroud if that's the way you're going to play. Um, I thought that was that was a, a very strange one. Then we have, uh, he takes Lacazette off for Walcott or Iwobi, however you want to view those two substitutions. He takes Xhaka off uh, as well at the same time. I thought that, that change, those two changes pretty much uh, stopped what little momentum we, I think we did actually have, I, I won't say what little momentum. I thought we had some momentum in the in the last few minutes but i thought you know when you, when you're playing in a way that you're looking for crosses into to Giroud or good balls into the box or good balls over the top to try and find a little bit of space taking Xhaka off was a really odd one and Walcott he said i want to i wanted to put Walcott on to make crosses for Giroud what the fuck where does yeah. it, i just he, he had a bad day at, at the office Arsene Wenger i think yeah, and we ended up going back to a back four. I mean, the thing is, it wasn't that dissimilar from the way things went against Leicester when, you know, we ended up with six players out of position. It was a complete chaos, but we managed to somehow get the goals. But I, there wasn't any coherent strategy to that. And I think in some respects, we got a little bit lucky. And I think what happened at Stoke was a similarly kind of wild tactical plan and it didn't work at all I mean at the end we had a central midfield of Iwobi and Ramsey and there's just not enough structure to that is there to try and control the game or build any kind of momentum and they're two fundamentally two attacking players really yeah and, and you know you're right that it was similar to the to the Leicester game to throw people on and let's try and get some goals but what he did was he took off the man who got the two assists for the two goals that won us the game against Leicester that was Xhaka mm. now I know he didn't have a great game and he was careless in midfield, uh, leading up to the goal, he, he gave the ball away far too cheaply. I think there was a lot we could have done to prevent that goal. We could have defended it better, but it stemmed from that piece of, of play. And I think his passing, you know, the long passing that he's so good at switching the play, his radar was off there. I think he ended up with 85% passing completion. So it wasn't like ridiculous. But when you're misplacing those passes, those long passes, it looks a bit more... Um, what's the word wasteful than it actually is because it's you know you're you're playing these passes it looks more obvious or whatever um but i thought that was i just thought that was a bad move taking off shaka it felt to me more like he wanted to take off shaka than he wanted to put somebody else on because he right. does have that ability to to open up defenses um 
Yeah, I mean, I almost think, you know, at that stage of the game, you might as well drop Shaka in as a centre-half because it was us having the ball 100% of the time. You know, you want to keep him on the field because you need someone who can pick those passes from deep. Mm. And I also think the taking Lacazette off, I mean, he lashed in that shot, didn't he? Yeah. Left foot into the top corner. A brilliant, brilliant strike. If I was a Stoke defender and saw him coming off a couple of minutes after that, I think I probably would have felt pretty relieved. Yeah. I mean, God knows Danny Welbeck's not going to do that. Well, that's exactly it, isn't it? I cannot understand. Like, if you've got to throw Walcott on, okay, throw him on. If that's your plan, you know, to put crosses in for Giroud, which he didn't do and made no crosses. But take Welbeck off. Mm. Great athlete. Physically really uh, uh, powerful. I love that moment where he knocked that guy over on the, the touchline. That was great. But, you know, in front of goal, fucking hell, he had a bad day. And, he, you know, he's he, he's got all the attributes, but just the finishing is, is so off. And when you see Lacazette, the movement, he stayed onside. I absolutely believe that goal was onside. Uh, great flick from Giroud. He he read the flick from Giroud so well. On the turn, on the shoulder of the defender, he lashed the ball into the top corner. Like, I mean, that was probably our best effort on goal. It was wrongly disallowed for offside. And then you take the guy off? What, like, why? I mean, maybe there was an injury. Maybe he's suffering a bit from something. I, I don't know. That could be the thing, and they keep that sort of information. But gee, it doesn't make any sense on the face of it, does it? No, I mean, Arsene Wenger does have a habit of kind of uh, doing this with new signings sometimes. He brings them off, doesn't let them complete the 90 minutes because he's bedding them in. But when you really need a goal, taking off the guy who bought specifically to be the finisher, to be the cutting edge and be the difference, it certainly raised a few eyebrows. And in a match like that, where Stoke are so deep, so entrenched, I just feel like Walcott is a waste of a sub. I, I really do. Like, it's just not his game, is it, to try and, mm. you know, play a quick one-two and and break through those tight lines. So, yeah, I thought the manager's decision on decisions on the day were odd. And I think that it's almost remarkable how he's managed to take a system that we introduced for its added defensive security and includes a third centre-back and make it kind of a bit shapeless and a bit porous very quickly. Well, you know, we discussed it on the Arsecast on Friday with Philippe that we we concede more goals. Uh, or not that we concede more goals, but certainly the expected goals conceded is greater than it is when we mm. play with, uh, with a back four. So, mm. you know, I have a feeling, and I, I don't know if you share this belief or not, but I think sooner rather than later we're going to see uh, this team revert to a back four. Do you really think that? Yeah. I think that would be a big surprise only because he just didn't really do it in pre-season. But I guess he's reasoning that it's not a difficult switch to make because they've all played it so much in the past. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I'm I'm not sure he's convinced by the back three. Um, and I think he stuck with it while we were winning. But I think if we have a couple of games where we don't lose, I think he's going to revert to what he feels more comfortable with. And that is a, a back four. How that then impacts our midfield remains to be seen. Um but yeah, yeah. It, would, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we went back to a back four in, you know, not long into this season. So you said that you thought that our problems going forward were almost bigger than our ones at the back. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you just mean in terms of not being able to make the most of the the possession that we had? Because we had the ball a lot in this game. Yeah, we had, what, 78, 78% possession, something like that. Yeah. I think it, it's the lowest total any team has ever had in one a game. Stoke for years and years or since time began, something like that. I'm not sure. But yeah, I think, um, you know, the defending wasn't great for the goal. It was a stupid goal to give away. But Stoke were basically shite. 
They were, you know, this is not the Stoke team that's terrorized us in the in the past. It's not like Stoke were always chock full of great players. You know, they've got some good players in, in their team, but they're not very good. They're really not very good. And to have that much possession and to not do enough with it, I think, was was our problem. Um, you know, we didn't create very much for, for Lacazette. Uh, we didn't make the most of the opportunities that we did have. We didn't get a penalty either. I think uh, that was a, definitely a penalty on Hector Bellerin uh, in, in the first half after about 20 minutes, and that would certainly have 100%. changed the trajectory of the game, the disallowed goal, you know, so we can feel a little bit aggrieved on the day. But, you know, there were too many familiar issues, I think, is is the problem. If you look at the game in isolation, you can feel somewhat aggrieved and perhaps chalk it down to one of those days. But it's not in isolation. You know, when you've got a manager who's been there for 20-odd years, you can't look at games in isolation. Or, you know, it is only the second game of the season. Of course, we shouldn't lose our shit. But when you see that kind of performance, that kind of ineffectiveness going forward, you know, you look at our squad and you think, if we're going to make up for deficiencies defensively, it is going to be in the forward positions because we've got so many players. Mm. But how many of those players in reality, should we be banking on? When you look at the system, you know, Danny Welbeck, a great guy, very popular, but is he going to get you that many goals? Where the fuck does Theo Walcott fit into this system? Where does he fit? I don't know. How is he going to score you goals if we're not going to play with a right winger or if we're not going to play play him up front as a striker? I mean, could, you know, these are issues uh, that we have in in the attacking sense, that perhaps we we really ought to be looking at at a couple of those players and thinking, okay, well, it's time to move you on and look at a different yeah. option. I think that's probably right, and I think, I mean, you know, how many times last season? Let's not forget where we bailed out by Alexis Sanchez, and we didn't have him at our disposal this weekend. And I think you saw how much we miss him when he's not there. And mm. uh, I guess Arsene's decision on Alexis has been vindicated to an extent because we are just not nearly the same force. We're not nearly as clinical uh, without him in there. And I, I mean, he'll be back next week, which is some comfort. It, it, it is a frustrating one because I actually thought... I didn't think that this was the worst Arsenal performance I've seen in a long time. You know, I, I didn't think it was quite as bad as it's been... Uh, at other stages last season, for example, we created some chances. You know, yeah. we we didn't give away loads of opportunities. They just happened to take the one very good one they were presented with. It was quite a narrow margin of defeat, not just in terms of the scoreline, but in terms of what actually happened on the pitch. The problem is that we're all so exhausted of it, right? We're all so bored of it that when it happens again, inevitably all the same gripes come to the surface. Yeah. And the, the I suppose the other thing is that it is it was avoidable. That again, it's not as if we were taken apart by a great team, some beautiful flowing football. It was avoidable, I think, the defeat, the goal um, was just so careless. You know, it came from an individual mistake. Um, but I'm not sure we worked hard enough to to make up for that mistake at, at the time. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is. And it's Stoke again. It's Stoke away. You know, we went there at the end of last season and spanked them 4-1. And you're thinking, OK, well, that that's that hoodoo done and dusted. You know, every time we've played Stoke at the Emirates, we've beaten them. Like they've never won a game at the Emirates. I don't think they've even, uh, I don't think they've even drawn a game. But yeah. every time we go there, you th- you know, there's an issue. Something happens to us as a collective. And you thought, okay, well, at least we've got our, you know, we've got over that. We can put it behind us. And it was, it felt a bit, felt a bit like that, um, like the old days 
like we were just repeating the cycle, you know? Yeah. And I, I must say, I know we've spoken about, well, we've spoken about the attack, we've spoken about central defence. I think there were definitely causes for concern in the central midfield too. I know it's an area people have talked about all summer long, really, and this is the first time this season that Ramsey and Shaka have started together, but definitely the balance of that midfield partnership didn't look quite right. I felt like Ramsey, uh, you know, he almost operates in a free role at times from central midfield. You know, there were there were periods where he was well beyond the striker, and that is the positive aspect of his game, but it can leave Shaka isolated. And on their goal, you know, Shaka conceded possession, he chased after it, and suddenly we just didn't have a midfield. You know, mm. Ramsey was caught up the field too, and... You know, that part of the pitch uh, is an area where I think we don't look as secure as you, as you would hope. Sure. No, uh, I mean, I think we need a signing. I mean, the thing about Ramsey is I, I assume, right, I assume that he is playing to instruction, not mm-hmm. just going out there and doing whatever the hell he wants. I assume that he's being told to get forward when we have uh, possession, when we're coming out of uh, defence with possession. Uh, it's got to be part of the tactics, I guess, that Arsene Wenger is deploying to have Ramsey as far forward as that, rather than him just wandering around. It's, I guess, in a way, the way uh, people got a bit cheesed off with Coquelin. Remember last season when he was the, the furthest midfielder forward and people were going, well, what, what's he doing? But again, you've got mm-hmm. to assume that that's what he's been instructed to do. Um so, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Midfield was not right. Midfield hasn't been right for some time. There is the I, I, the need for a signing in there. There's a need for a more, let's say, if you could cross Elneny's tidiness on the ball with somebody who could win the ball really well with some, some tackling a bit more of a physical player in there. I think we need that kind of a player to, to stitch everything together as it stands. Again, yeah. that depends on the system, but of course, you know it's it's hard to look at this team and find find the balance when you're playing a completely imbalanced back three or back five as well. Um, mm. What what did you make of Mesut Ozil's performance? Because I've seen a lot of criticism of him. Uh, I believe that he was torn to shreds on TV after the game by Steven Gerrard and Martin Keown. Uh, I didn't look at match of the day because match of the day is... Uh, I don't look at match of the day when we lose. And I saw a lot of criticism of, of Ozil, but you know, I didn't think he was in any way uh, one of the problems that we had on, on Saturday against Stoke. Um, he passed the ball very well. He made some chances. He had a couple of efforts on goal, one of which went just wide. I didn't think he was the problem. I, I thought he was all right on the ball, but I must say there was a moment in the first half where I noticed a couple of challenges back-to-back where they were almost 60-40 in his favour and he, he didn't go in for them. And, and that's not new. That's mm. not because his contract's running out. That's not because he wasn't up for it. That is the way he plays. But I must say at that point in the game, uh, that definitely did get my goat. But I don't think he was... It would be wrong to say that he was worse than anybody else. Perhaps even in that regard. I mean, you know, Stoke aren't even the the physical force that they weren't that they once were. But uh, you know, maybe, nor are we. So it's kind of a, it kind of levels out, I guess. Yeah. But no, I didn't think he was particularly bad on the ball. I did find some of his unwillingness to compete a bit frustrating at times, in just in pure in one to one duels. But mm-hmm. again. If you don't like that about Ozil, you're never going to like that about Ozil, right? Yeah, that's true. Maybe it's because people want him to step up in a game like this. 
where... I guess so, especially when Alexis yeah. isn't around. Yeah, you know? exactly. But, you know, I didn't think he shirked his responsibility on the ball. I thought he, he made a couple of good chances. One for, for Bellerin, which Bellerin spooned over the bar from the edge of the box. And there was a great cross for uh, Danny Welbeck, who mm. shouldered the ball over the bar, didn't even make contact with the header. You know, so those are the moments where Ozil can make a difference, but... The issue is those chances are not being finished. Yeah, that's it. And and ultimately, if if those if Danny Welbeck does put that header in the net, if Hector Bellerin does side foot that home, we're talking about performance with two assists, and we're all praising you know his exactly, genius and his exactly. Vision. So I mean, in some ways, he is a slave to what's ahead of him or the the players that he's creating those chances for. You know. Um, so yeah, a difficult uh, a difficult day. And then I suppose the, the the one thing we haven't really touched on, maybe we'll get onto it, is is um, why Hector Bellerin's playing out on the left flank. I mean, I, I I was I'm absolutely flabbergasted at that, and it feels like now it does feel like Alex Oxley Chamberlain is kind of being included almost to make a point, almost as if it's part of the contract negotiations. It feels absurd that we're finding a way to shoehorn both him and Bellerin into the same team. Yeah, look, but Bellerin is not a left wing back. He can do a job there, but the reason he's being asked to do the job there is because Arsene Wenger thinks that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is worse in that position, right? And then when everyone's yeah. fit, Bellerin is the first choice right wing back, so he thinks uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is worse in that position than Bellerin. You know, I I, I like a lot of what Oxlade-Chamberlain does. I really do, and I thought he had some some really good moments, good dribbling, but I I I just don't quite understand what's happening with this team and why we're using him there. Um, I, I, he, the Bellerin-Oxlade-Chamberlain thing really divides opinion at the moment. I know there's a lot of people who would prefer Oxlade-Chamberlain there. Me, I just prefer Hector Bellerin there. I, I think he is uh, the future, obviously. He signed a six-year contract with the club. I just... Uh, it goes back to this imbalance in the back five again. I, ca- I can't figure out what the thinking was there. And I thought Arsene Wenger, after the game, when he was talking about it, I thought it was a bit strange the way he was he was talking about it. What did he say? Uh, you know, on Bellerin, he can play there. I play him or Chamberlain there. And Chamberlain on the right looks good as well. Both of them are more right-sided players, I agree. And depending on the game, I sometimes uh, choose right and sometimes left. What? You know, I mean, the terrifying thing about that is it sounds like a more than just a short-term fix, doesn't it? It sounds like something he's planning on doing uh, beyond this point, which I, oh, I have no time for, really. Yeah, I think it's absurd to have bought the one of the best uh, left wing-backs from the Bundesliga who made a significant attacking contribution to Schalke last season, was in the Bundesliga team of the year, and not play him in his best position, or certainly not play him where we've obviously earmarked him uh, from the start. That's why we bought him to play there. Um, you know, the first game of the season, I understand we had defensive issues, but if we continue to not play him there or shoehorn him into the back three, uh, I'm just, I just find it very hard because normally when Arsene Wenger picks his team, you can see the logic to it. You know, even if you disagree with the team selection, you can usually find a way uh, to, to understand why it is he's he's chosen the team that he has. And I, w- I was unable to do that with the team that he picked for Stoke and with the substitutions that he made. Mm. Mm. I agree. Oh, God. It's good to have football back, isn't it? <laughs> Marvellous. Marvellous. Is there anything else on the game that we should uh, discuss? Or I, I presume other things will come up in the questions, but... 
Uh, I'm just trying to think. I mean, I've blacked a lot of it out, trying desperately to move on. I can confirm, by the way, that Cohen Bramwell and Carl Jenkinson have officially signed for Birmingham City while we've been on air. Uh, so there you go. Some some good news, I guess. Uh, um, I'm sorry, I was just looking for my fanfare sound effect there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, what about the whole, you know, the officials element of it? I mean, we were unfortunate in some respects, weren't we, with the decisions definitely on the day. That that has to be factored into to proceedings. Yes, it does. Um, one of the uh, most shocking things that I discovered last week is that Andre Mariner uh, actually is called Andrew Mariner and changed his name to Andre. Oh, my word. Seriously. trade Andrews everywhere. Yeah, well, look, I'm glad to have him in a different club, to be honest. I don't want to be, I don't want to be one of them. But no, it, terrible. <laughs> you know, the, the Bellerin penalty, clearly a penalty. I thought the others, the handballs were accidental, so I wouldn't be on that. But the offside was a terrible, terrible decision. The only thing I can think of is that the linesman maybe thought that it hit Ramsey or that Ramsey played it to him. Um, I right, could see yeah. some people mention that. But for me, he was absolutely onside, a great finish. Look, sometimes you get the decision, sometimes you don't, right? Last week, we were talking about a piece of sublime control from Mesut Ozil, which was a clear handball, which led to, was it the Ramsey goal? Uh, yes, it was. You know, so I don't know that we can be... Uh, we can't complain too much, can we, if we weren't complaining last week? No, we can't we, too sad. Yeah. I must say, I was watching on BT Sport, I think it was, and Steve McManaman was commentating. And I did find it bizarre. He kept saying what a brilliant decision it was from the linesman. Uh, I just found that maddening. I, I was like, on what grounds is that brilliant? Yeah, I mean, it was like, it was so marginal that I don't think it can have been a brilliant decision. It was just a guess, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was. It was a bad decision. And uh, obviously a very costly one for us. But, you know, I I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of blaming uh, officials because as we saw last week against Leicester, sometimes you get the, the decisions in your favour and sometimes, like against Stoke, you don't. And it, they were bad decisions. I'm not saying they weren't bad decisions, but, like, it's not as if we didn't have chances. It's not as if we didn't uh, dominate the game. It's not as if we didn't have more possession, more of the ball, more of the territory that we ultimately didn't do enough with. And I think that's where the focus should be. You know, it's annoying when decisions don't go your way. I get it. And I was really cheesed off about the goal and really cheesed off about the penalty. But it swings and roundabouts in a way. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we can shit to shit refereeing but I don't think we can really hold that up as the the key reason but you know in a in a tight game of course if you get the decision your way it makes a, a big difference and even if we draw on that game 1-1 I don't think there'd be the same outpouring of of anger and ire of course there wouldn't um so I don't know what can you do you they're out of those decisions are out of your control so what you can control is your own performance and what you do with the football and uh, what we did wasn't good enough to get uh, any points on the day no. I mean, I'll be honest. I wasn't imagining that this Arsenal season uh, would be another Invincibles campaign. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> thinking that. I, I wasn't envisaging, you know, uh, a long unbeaten spell. I think we will lose games across the course of the season. But this was a frustrating one to lose because of who the opponents are, mm. because of the nature in which it happened. Um, thank God we got that winner against Leicester on the opening day. Yeah. Let's just say that. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And look, before we go into part two, I suppose we should say that it was quite amusing to see uh, Tottenham lose. That did brighten up my weekend very slightly, even if it means that Chelsea won. Uh, it was still it was still worth it to see Tottenham lose very late on. Yeah, that was absolutely lovely. I really enjoyed that. I mean, you know, I I was immediately felt a little bit sick at celebrating a Chelsea goal, but. It was nice to see and good for them to sort of christen Wembley, you know, stars they mean to go on. Yeah, absolutely. I should just point out that I did not celebrate a Chelsea goal. I laughed. I laughed at right. Tottenham. I didn't uh, yeah, I didn't celebrate the Chelsea goal. So you have got some uh, I've got some penance to do that. Absolutely. You need to scrub yourself off. You're unclean. <laughs> unclean. All right. We are going to take a break. Um, unless there's anything else from the weekend's Premier League you want to touch on? Not particularly, no. I mean, literally just la- laughing at Spurs was the only kind of real positive. Manchester United are worrying me at mm. the moment. So, yeah, let's, the, let's probably not talk about that. Yeah. You could point out that they played two crap teams, but then, you know, so did we, basically. And, so uh, did we. That's the thing. <laughs> so let's not, let's not uh, go down that uh, road. OK, right. We'll take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. Just want to announce that Carl Jenkinson, before he left, has signed a new seven-year contract with the club just so we can uh, get some transfer value for him as and when he has a cracking season uh, for Birmingham. So there you go. That's Good news. Hopefully, hopefully we can secure a new long-term deal for Joel Campbell as well. That will really tie off the transfer window nicely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But we've got to get that Matthew Debushi contract sorted out before we go anywhere near Joel Campbell. <laughs> I just have noticed, by the way, that Joel Campbell's been <laughs> been given a new squad number. He's been given the number twenty-seven, um, following in the footsteps of the likes of Emmanuel Labue. Right, because he was Lucas Perez, of course, has taken his twenty-eight. Yeah. But Lucas Perez more than likely is going to leave the club on loan. That, that, that was a really weird kind of thing, wasn't it? I understand giving Lacazette number nine, but then why give Perez a number of Joel Campbell? Why didn't they just give Perez a number that was unused mm. rather than Joel Campbell's number? Then have to reassign Joel Campbell a number that he's probably not ever going to use again either. 
It's a terrible, wasteful way of dealing with numbers. Numbers are important. They have feelings too, you know. Maybe Joe Campbell had specifically asked to move to 27 because he is such a disciple of Abue. He felt that, you know, it was his destiny to be number 27. Right. He knew this before. More transfer news coming in. I we were linked with a Nice uh, midfielder, Jean, Jean-Michael Seri. Seri? 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 Yeah. Seri? Seri? Anyway, he's joined Barcelona on a four-year deal. So there you go. We won't be signing that uh, guy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I actually think he would have been really good. But there you go. Yeah. What yep. can you do? What can you do indeed, other than not do any transfers? I think that's what, that's what we're going to do. Okay, I'm going to start uh, the questions. Uh, this one comes from Nico, who's at Ill Disposed on Twitter. I think that's what it is. And he says, one rational reason to kick the ball out when a Stoke player is down. Just one. I I think he means give him one. So you can give him one, James. One rational reason to kick the ball out when a Stoke player is down. Ah. Who was it who did it in the end? Was it Nacho Monreal? Yeah. I, I forget yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, nice. I, I could see it happening. I could see it, I could see it going through his head for about five or ten seconds before he did it. And I was going, just, just don't do it. Whatever you do, Nacho, don't fucking do it. Don't do it. Please don't. Just don't do it. I can see you thinking about it. Don't do it, Nacho. Don't do it. Don't do it. The guy's not injured. He's just knackered. He was a big lumbering fucker who ran up the field and got tackled and he's just exhausted. He's not injured. Don't do it, Nacho. Don't. Oh, for fuck's sake! That's the way it went. And I actually shouted that out loud and I think the dog left the room. Arsenal fans everywhere, I think, were were mirroring that exact behaviour. Why do it? I don't know. To be the bigger man, I guess, but... Don't be the bigger man. Be a, Just be a cunt. We yeah. need to be a bit more cunty. And it's not even that cunty. It's just the fucking rules. Like, if the guy's actually injured... The referee can stop it, of course. Of course, point. of course. If the guy's lying there and his fucking leg is hanging off because he's had a d- dreadful tackle and you play on... Uh, you know, there's a there's um there's a line probably that you shouldn't cross. But if a guy is just lying down because he's fucking tired, a professional athlete is tired because he's run sixty yards upfield. Fuck that guy. Leave him on the ground. Stop listening to the fucking Stoke fans, and just play on. Just fucking play on. I drove me mad. It really did. It was Duff, wasn't it? He had basically just exhausted himself, I think, yeah. on a on a lumber upfield, and, uh, and then yeah, I, lay down. It's this, oh, it's this horrible thing where you can sort of see the players passively passing it around. No one wants to be the guy to actually put it out. They're not really clear on what they should do, and in the in the Monreal kind of you know assumed responsibility and did it, but. Yeah, there was no need. There was no need. One good reason. I don't, I'm not sure we can come up with a good reason. There is between. There is no good reason. The only reason to do it is if the guy is genuinely injured and in, and in real need of treatment. And I don't mean if he's like pulled his hamstring or if he's got a bit of a sore, you know, if he's really, really in need of immediate treatment, like a head injury, that's when the referee can stop the game. But like, this is really fucking simple to sort out. Really simple. It takes, what, 10 seconds on the training ground to say, next time that happens, do not put the ball out of play. Keep playing. Just keep playing. If the referee wants to stop the game, there's nothing you can do about that, but play to the fucking whistle. And next time that happens, and one of our players decides to be too nice and puts the ball out, give give him a wedgie. 
like from the strongest yeah. member of the squad, you, you're going to get a wedgie. Like, just don't I mean, fucking do it. In seriousness, do you think that uh, a player, a pro player, can tell if a guy who's gone down is injured or not? Yeah, because they've all right. been they've all been injured and they've all been they've all pretended to be injured and they've all done that thing where they've run too far and they might not have the guts to get back. Well, I mean, actually, I don't know why Juve was, apart from just basic lack of fitness, why he was so exhausted by what he did. I know he's not normally the rampaging fullback kind of a guy, but Jesus Christ, I think the players know. Of course the players know when a guy's really injured and he wasn't really injured. He was just tired. And we put the ball out because the guy was feeling a bit tired. Maybe we should have bought him, uh, you know, brought him on a nice cup of cocoa as well, fetched his slippers for him, sat him down by the fire, read him a fucking bedtime story while we were at it. Fuck that. Seriously. Yeah. Well, look, hopefully we've learned from it, but we don't really learn from lessons, do we? So I I wouldn't bet on it. It's true. We don't learn from lessons, even when (laughs) we talk about learning our lessons. Well, that's the, that's the clearest indication that we aren't going to learn from them. If we talk about it, we're definitely not going to do it. <sighs> okay, go on. Your, t- your turn. Uh, this is, speaking of learning lessons, this question is on Facebook from Matthew Plevy, and he says blogs, which I assume he means he's, he's abbreviating ask blogger there, isn't he, to you. He says, why do you think Wenger drops a youngster from the squad altogether after the first bad game they play? like dropping holding for Stoke after he's been excellent in most games he's played. It seems like it does more harm than good, brackets, chambers. He speaks so much about giving young players a chance, but it seems like one strike and they're out. Yeah, well, we'll have to see what happens with holding now because I, I think I can sort of understand wanting to take him out of the firing line a bit if he's had a game in which his confidence has been a little bit uh, shaken, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think holding... Uh, as a young central defender, he needs a player like uh, Mertesacker or Koscielny alongside him. Because when you're a young central defender, if you've got the experienced guy there talking to you through the game, it makes such a difference. It helps you learn. I think he wouldn't necessarily have had that with, with Monreal, who's maybe not as good a communicator. Uh, and Mustafi, I think, has got his own issues as a, a central defender. So we'll have to see what... what happens here with holding but if he's leaves him out of the squad for a couple of weeks and doesn't give him a game you have to wonder whether or not that is going to damage his confidence that maybe the best thing for him would have been to start against Stoke and and get a good um get a good performance under his belt he played well there last season if you remember he he clattered into Arnautovic um and uh, that was one of the the, the fun moments uh, towards the end of last season yeah, look, he talked about it. As I said, he talked about it, that he knows young central defenders are going to cost you points, but you've got to play them. You've got to have faith in their talent. You know, he says, I've got to play you. You know, I know you're going to cost me points, but your talent is such that that I'm going to play you. And then he does exactly the opposite when it comes to uh, to holding this time around. So, yeah, that was a difficult one for me to understand. I think he should have been on the bench rather than being left out of the squad altogether. So and what yeah and what do you make about of Callum Chambers I mean not even on the bench for the first two games it, is that an indication that it's done for him at Arsenal I mean uh, Ash Shetty on Twitter says if Callum Chambers is not going to play in games when Kachani and Mertzak aren't playing isn't it better to sell him then mm. 
Exactly. And we have another question here on, on defense as well from Anish Chandoke, I think it is. And he says, if uh, if every other uh, defender is not in plans and Koscielny's unfit, Mustafi reckless, why aren't we in the market for a central defender? And he says, Gabriel and Chambers are not in Arsene Wenger's plans. Uh, Holding also uh, also left out and Mertesacker didn't get the game, meaning he's not in his plans. All of a sudden, you know, you go from what looked like a fairly strong central defensive uh, lineup, right? You had at the start of the season before it began on paper, you've got Koscielny, you've got Mustafi, you've got Holding, you've got Mertesacker, you've got Monreal who can play there, you've got Chambers, you've got Gabriel, you've got Kolasinac who can play there. Uh, I think I, like, I feel like I'm missing somebody out, but uh, Mertesacker, uh, who I may have mentioned, I can't remember, but it looked mm-hmm. like you've got all these great options and great combinations to make back threes out of and now, two games into the season, we've got more questions and answers when it comes to our central defense defenders and and how highly the manager rates some of those players it's it's kind of um it's hard to hard to understand yeah and I think you know last season with our midfield there was this big issue of well who are who is first choice you know what is the best combination and actually I think this season that's almost flipped to be the question about central defense you know we know if he's fit Lauren Koscielny is going to be in there yeah but I think it's genuinely difficult to to predict which other two players are in Arsene Wenger's first choice back three at the moment. Uh, I mean, that's partly because they haven't all been available, but it, it is difficult to say. I mean, it feels like Mustafi is someone he'll want to bed in and he'll want to be part of that um, because, you know, he spent so much money on him f- for uh, for the first instance. Mm. But, I mean, Eric Conan on Twitter, uh, the uh, at the Eric Conan says, is it time we admitted Mustafi is not the centre-back we need? Too impulsive and never looks composed. Should we take Inter's money and bid for Van Dijk? Well, no, I don't think we can at this moment in time because if you sell Mustafi, then you've got what? You're you're missing one of the defenders that Arsene Wenger seems at least to have some faith in. Um, And I think he deserves at least a second season, to be honest. Uh, You know, he's still quite young in the life of a centre-half. He's 24 or 25, maybe, just gone that way. Um, You know, if you were replete with options and Inter Milan came in with a load of money, um, then maybe you'd think about it. But as as it stands, absolutely not. And I think Inter's offer was a loan anyway, wasn't it? It wasn't a bid for Mustafi. They were looking to take him on loan. So absolutely not. You you can't get rid of him um, that quickly, but I you know I agree he's got some issues with his game. Like there was one moment really early in the game where Stoke were coming forward, he went sliding in right on the edge of the box. It could have been inside the box. I'll have to look at it again. But he you know he's off his feet. He's sliding in, and he's he does that too often. Um, yeah. And I think that's a a part of his game that he really needs to be coached on. You know, when to when to go in like that, when to slide in. You've got to stay on your feet, particularly around the box. It's just absurd. It, that was a really, really costly, uh, or could have been a really costly tackle. You know, because the guy jumped over him. If the guy had left his legs in, you know, that could have been a penalty really early in the game. So, Of course, of course. <sighs> I, I don't know. But no, you can't. I mean, should we be in the market for a centre half? It feels like we should be because the manager looks to be unconvinced by so many of the players that he has at his disposal. And he's let one of them go anyway in, uh, in Gabriel, who's gone to Valencia. So, mm. yeah. 
It's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it almost feels like that's why we went to three in the first place because it, you know, two, two kind of wasn't enough. Two was didn't really satisfy us, and then he couldn't really find a combination that, apart from Koscielny and Mertzaka, which served him well for a couple of years, he couldn't really find a combination that that worked. So, mm. yeah, big questions to be answered there. Big questions to be answered. Well, Koscielny and Mertzaka as a pairing were were really good because of yeah, the qualities yeah. that they have. You know, the two central defenders. Uh, you know, they're ver- they're. Their varying qualities really complemented each other, but we don't seem to have that in the squad at this moment in time. Koscielny and Koscielny and Mustafi feels to me like Koscielny and Vermalen, two players who are too similar, who defend, yeah, want to defend high up the so. pitch, you know? So it's about finding somebody who can replace Mertesacker in a way. You know, somebody who's got that bit more composure, somebody who reads the game better, that phys- more physical presence, um, you know, somebody who can intercept and, and play the ball out from deep. You know, I think Mertesacker, obviously in, mm. in the, the twilight of his career, but a, a much underrated player, I think, um, by, by many Arsenal fans. And, I, you know, if we're going to go out and we're going to buy a central defender, we need maybe to look at somebody, you know, in, in that mould. But who that is, whether it's Van Dijk, I don't know. But. Well, I mean... He's at the other extreme of his career, but Rob Holding does have a lot of those natural yeah, attributes. That's true. You know? That's true. So put your faith in Holding. If 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 he's the guy for the future, then you know, let's do it. Let's do it. Why not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm inclined to agree. I think, you know, he, he he has that composure. He has the the height, he has the physique, so he's he's quicker than Per as well. So I yeah, I think I really hope this doesn't damage him too much mm. being taken out of the team for this game. I mean if you look at the two matches we've lost since we switched to a back three, it's Spurs away and it's Stoke away, and they're both the games in which holding didn't start. Mm. Yeah, read into that what you will. Okay, here's a question from Brad Dennett, who's at Brad underscore Dennett on Twitter. And he says, as we've only bought one player, Kolasinac being free, has Arsene Wenger been frugal? £50 million for a striker proving not very much in this market. Yeah, I was interested. I don't know if you saw, by the way, I've just realised that I might be about to sneeze. So I'm just warning you. I've got that feeling. It's been tingling for about a minute. Just look out the window. Look out the window. You can look up towards, yeah, look towards the, the sun, the sunlight. What, and that makes it go away? No, it makes you sneeze. I can't see the sun, it's obscured by trees, but the feeling's gone away, so I'm happy either way. All right, okay. Anyway, <laughs> I was intrigued by those quotes from Arsene Wenger, who was speaking about his summer transfer activity, and he said, the advantage of signing a player for free is that it effectively allows you to uh, divide your other transfer deal by two. Did you see this? Yeah. So he was like, rather than 50 million for one player, it's like you've paid... 25 million for each and I can imagine him sort of sort of making that justification for himself you know I always was quite impressed that he went and spent 50 million on Lacazette but then when you think in his head he's like well actually actually it's 25 million because I've got Kalasnak for free Mm. suddenly that made more sense of it Um, has he been frugal I mean that's not a lot of money for a club of our size to spend in any given transfer window at the moment no it's not it's not especially this particular transfer market. I think uh, some of last season is, uh, maybe last summer is impacting on what we're spending this summer. You know, when you you buy Xhaka, what did we spend? About £90 million last summer. But we have, I guess, brought in, when you look at it now, 
oh God, we'll have to do the, uh, how much have we spent? Anyone out there who can remember where we talked about how much we'd spend oh, net and all I that? I know I'm way off. I'm way off. Like people have been tweeting me all week saying, you must feel like a fool, James. And I was like, well, no more than usual. But, <laughs> but I, I, I think I was north of a hundred million. You know, I really thought that given the fan unrest that the club would almost feel obliged mm. to go out and spend some serious, serious money this summer. Um, yeah. And they have been relatively restrained, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, you think we've, what, sold Chesney for 13 million euros. What's that, about um, 50 million pounds sterling now at this point? Yeah. Um, <laughs> more or less the same. I think it's almost one for one, isn't it? So let's say 12 it million is, yeah. 12 million pounds we've got in, and we've sold Gabriel for 10 million pounds. So that's uh, 22 million pounds. And we've signed Lacazette for 50 million. Um, so we brought 22 million in. So, you know, our net spend, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's 28 million pounds in a market in which Gilfie Sigurdsson goes for 45 million pounds. It's not a significant investment in the squad, is it? No, it's not. It's not a huge, uh, it's not a huge turnover in terms of the play staff. It's, it's two in really. And a bunch of players who weren't really being used anyway. Uh, seemingly going out. So there hasn't been much churn, really. And I think that that's going to be a problem for Arsenal this season because it can very easily lend weight to the argument of, well, you know, every time we lose a game, well, it's the same manager and the same players for mm. the most part. What what do you expect? Um, and I, I mean, what do you feel about what remains of the transfer window? Ten days to go, I think we are. Uh, on the day of doing this podcast, do you still think it's going to ramp up in terms of activity or do you think it's going to be quiet? Uh, I, I think we're going to get rid of some players. I think that's beginning well, to happen, obviously, isn't it, with uh, yeah. with Jenkinson? I mean, Bramall, I, you couldn't include him as part of the first-team squad anyway. But Jenkinson is gone. Again, a guy who's not really part of the first-team squad. Um, Gabriel went Gabriel is gone. I assume Lucas Perez is going to go at some point this week. There's uh, rumours that he's actually in Spain at the moment and they're going to get that Deportivo deal done one way or the other. Again, it could turn out to be a loan move for some strange reason. I don't really understand what their thinking is, but I assume that if we're turning down 9 million and 12 million euros, that whatever this loan move is, perhaps allows us to get a bit more for him in the long term. I, I don't, you know, I can't understand the ins and outs of it, to be perfectly honest, but he's going to go there. Uh, I think there could be a couple of others. I mean, we made a case earlier where you could be looking to improve certain uh, positions anyway uh, in in the attacking side of, of things, but I think we need a central midfield player, and I think more and more, as we look at the central defensive options, we need to bring in a central defender. I don't think that the additions that we've made, as much as I like them, and I like the look of Lacazette, and I like the look of Kolasinac, Kolasinac, sorry, um, you know, if we're not going to play Kolasinac in his right position, and if we're not going to give the right service to Lacazette, you know, I don't think that we've made enough additions to the squad. We haven't improved the overall quality of the squad enough for this team to challenge properly for the Premier League title. So I don't think we're a team that's gonna that's gonna challenge for the title as it stands. And I think there's a l no. I think there's work to be done between now and the end of the transfer window. I think if we let more players go, that's great. If we can move some of those players on who are surplus to requirements, you're looking now at Kieran Gibbs, you're looking at Matthew Debushi as the two outliers really from those players who who haven't really been involved at all. Um maybe Jack Wilshire. 
I think we've got to sign more players. If we're going to be absolutely serious about challenging for the title, we've got to sign more players, better players. Yeah, I think I, it's really unrealistic yeah. to look at this group, uh, look at the additions that have been made and think that they're sufficient to turn us from a team that finished you know, outside the top four to being legitimate title contenders. I mean, I just think that's completely implausible, to mm. be honest. Um, I mean, implausible things do happen in football, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not confident. I think that the squad, if, if we are genuinely serious about winning the big one or a big one this this season the squad needs to be better than it is it needs to it's not about quality sorry the, 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 it is about quality it's yeah. not about quantity the quantity is all wrong we've got too many players and not enough of them are of the requisite standard yeah i did enjoy that arsenal going we've got too many players we've got 33 players and that's too many as if somebody just came along and dumped a load of players on his doorstep one morning and he went where the hell did, where did these guys come from it's not as if i so, signed them all and gave them contracts <laughs> How is this happening? Um, yeah, it is. It's about it's about the quality. I absolutely agree with you. So, you know, on that, Alexander Partridge, who's at Padgy on Twitter, who said, you rated Arsenal's window a month ago. How do you rate it now? We're just over a week to go. I think I gave it a five and you gave it a six. Um, mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm downgrading us to a four at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that... That six was because I felt it had been a very strong start. And I can't remember if it was purely the transfer activity factored in. I was encouraged by a few things off the field as well. Jens Lehmann's uh, arrival and Per Mertzaka's, you know, future appointment. But, uh, you know, the signings were a great start. They really were. Lacazette, we didn't dither. We brought him in and got that deal done. Uh, Kolasinac was done early too. And I felt like we would push on from there. I really thought that we might add, you know, another couple of kind of first team quality players. That's what I'm talking about, really. Not squad players, but people who could come in and immediately improve the first 11. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I thought uh, that we would do that, particularly in central midfield. And, and it hasn't materialised. Um, and that is a that is a big concern. That is a big concern. And when I think about, you know, the start of the window and all the, albeit wild speculation about bids for... Kylian Mbappe of 130 million euros and, you know, uh, Thomas Lamar, 45 million euros, all these exciting deals that have come to pass. Uh, it's a little bit underwhelming and that might sound strange given that we've broken our transfer record to sign a centre forward, but uh, mm. I don't think we've done quite enough. I don't think we've done enough. Well, here, here's another one. Uh, it comes from Marky Mark, who's at Marcus underscore Mangan. And he says, wouldn't a director of football have been able to line up deals for our unwanted players by now? <laughs> I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. I mean, I, I can't really understand some of the difficulty we've had in offloading these guys. I mean, the Lucas Perez one is really bizarre. Like if Deportivo have been offering... 10 million euros. I mean, I've heard that maybe the structure of that deal wasn't to Arsenal's liking, i.e. the payments were made over a very protracted period. Sort of, 17 you know, years. <laughs> yeah, something like that. We'll pay you 9.99 uh, a month with a final yeah, payment. Kind, kind of that sort of deal. And so I guess that's put Arsenal off. But surely, I mean, we've got to get a shot of some of these guys. And if it's been impinging on our incoming business as I know you feel it has, then that's a real problem, isn't it? That's a real problem because mm. we might end, not end up with a strong enough squad because we've spent all summer, you know, focusing on trying to shift fringe players. Yeah. Fringe players. Yeah. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think a director of football might have helped in that regard. Uh, but we know that Arsene was completely opposed to that sort of appointment. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you would be opposed to somebody who could come in and just help you rather than, uh, you know, not this director of football idea that he comes in, he buys the players, et cetera, et cetera, but having a better support structure for for what is a difficult job. Let's face it, that it is difficult to move on players like Matthew Debushi, like Kieran Gibbs, like Lucas Perez. If they're unwanted and so obviously unwanted, it is not easy to move them on, particularly when their salaries at Arsenal might not be in line with some of the salaries at, at other clubs or, or at the clubs that might be interested in them, for example, like a league, a league one club in France is not going to have the same ability to pay Matthew Debushi what is being paid at Arsenal. But there are ways of uh, of making that happen, right? You can say to Matthew Debushi, look, you know, here, here you go. Here's a, we'll pay up the final year of your contract, something like that. I mean, it's costly, but ultimately you're going to have to pay that anyway, aren't you? If he stays for, you know, for, for the final year of his contract. So, you know, th- that, that kind of position can only be a help. Um, because it is difficult. And if you're dealing with coaching the team, selecting the team, trying to move on players, trying to sign players, worrying about finances, worrying about like two players for 25 million when you've actually only bought one for 50 million, you know, that kind of stuff. I, you know, I, I feel like we're doing ourselves a disservice by not having those structures in place. And that comes back to stuff we talked about last season. But, uh, but there you go. In an ideal world, it would work like this. Arsene Wenger gives uh, this director of football a list that has, you know, Lucas Perez, Mathieu Debussy, you know, Joel Campbell, whoever it is, Carl Jenkinson on it and says, look, I, I don't need these guys. Do your best with getting rid of them. And he mm. gives him another list that's got a bunch of exciting central defenders and central midfielders on it. And he says, I want these guys, get me one of them. Yeah. And he doesn't have to involve himself with the minutiae of it. I do think that that would be an efficient system and a good way to operate and I don't necessarily understand Arsene Wenger's resistance it's, to it but yeah maybe it's like the the uh, the backroom equivalent of not playing any centre halves at centre half yeah it's that how can I complicate this for myself <laughs> oh, have you got any more I think I probably okay. do yeah why not why not that we've, we've come this far um, so Joe Laycock on Twitter says I thought Ramsey was our best player on Saturday. Yes, he leaves gaps, but his runs make our play more dynamic. Are we in a Pogba situation with him where realistically we need to play a three-man midfield to release Rambo? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're playing him as one of two traditional central midfield players, the the issue that uh, Joe, is it Joe? Uh, Says there, yeah, yeah, he leaves gaps. He does leave gaps because he gets forward so much. And there's no question to my mind that Ramsey is better in the final third than anywhere else on the pitch. The timing of his runs is absolutely sensational. You know, the way he gets into the box, the way he attacks the ball, he's very brave. You know, he tries to get on the end of things. And running from deep, obviously... Uh, means that uh, it's more difficult for uh, defenders to track him. But yeah, you see the the difficulty when um, when we do get exposed in central midfield. And as I said, I think he's playing to instruction. I think he's being told to play that far forward and to to get into those positions. Um, and Arsene Wenger is banking on the the back three 
uh, or the back five to uh, to help fill those gaps, which when you're playing somebody like Oxlade-Chamberlain, this isn't a criticism of Oxlade-Chamberlain, I should point out. Oxlade-Chamberlain, for his entire career, has been essentially an attacking player. Mm. He's been a winger or an attacking central midfielder when he's been played in there. I know there's been a couple of games where he's played as a deep central midfield player, but but generally speaking, he is an attacking player, and we can see his attacking qualities when he gets forward in that right wing-back position. But he does not have defensive... Um, not that he doesn't have defensive qualities, but he doesn't uh, have a great understanding of the defensive side of the game. I think he's not it's, schooled in that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think he's improving in that regard, but he's not naturally defensive. So he his first thought isn't to get in there and fill that gap where Ramsey might have been. You know what I mean? So I think we yeah. leave ourselves at a bit of a deficiency there. I I didn't think Ramsey was uh, bad either uh, against uh, against Stoke. I thought he got forward very well, but I do think yeah, he's he's a guy who should play maybe as a number ten or in one of the two roles behind the striker in the current system that we play in. I think that he would probably flourish more there. Uh, but again, we don't have the players behind him to allow that to happen. We don't have the quality in central midfield to push him further forward. Mm. No, and I suppose with Alexis and Ozil available, you know, it's going to be difficult for him mm. to, to get one of those places uh, for himself. Unless maybe we do go back to a back four and a midfield three and then your your front three could be, you know, Alexis from the, the left, Ozil from the right maybe, Lacazette through the middle, mm. Ramsey breaking on as your 10 and then Shaka alongside a, a magical new signing. Is that not too many players? No. Four. Uh, yeah, okay. okay. I think four, three, three kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sorry, I just had it in my head. Though. I thought that was quite revolutionary <laughs> we, we, of you. <laughs> I know, no, we could we could be allowed to do that. I know it sounds absurd, but there you go. It's an option. Right. Okay, yeah, well, we'll see. Again, a player who I'm not sure we're getting necessarily the best out of um, because of the system that we play. So it mm. comes back to this muddledness that we have in terms of what's the best way to deploy some of the players that we have. Um, mm. But yeah. yeah. Well, look, it's, it, I'm sure it'll... I mean, it, the, the problem is, it, the reason it feels so uh, disappointing is that when you look at the fixture list we've got coming up, it, it might get mm. trickier before it gets better. You know, it, yeah. it's... Uh, it's, a, it's Anfield next, and that's, you know, whatever's going on at Liverpool, that's never an easy fixture, that's for sure. No, it certainly isn't. You wouldn't uh, you wouldn't fancy with the way our defence is at this moment in time, so hopefully there's a bit more uh, a bit more of a plan. OK, here's a, here's a question from Brendan Fennell, who wants to know, would you rather fight one Kolasinac or three Walcotts? Oh, three Walcotts. <laughs> Do you fancy your I chances? Think three Walcotts. I think so. I mean, I imagine that he's quite sort of bitey and scratchy in a fight. He's become quite sort of like faux feisty, hasn't he, in recent years? He can have those moments where he kind of turns and squares up to people. But I think if it got serious, I, d- I don't think I don't think he'd fancy it. I mean, look, I'm I'm not a fighter, but I, I, I against Kalasinak, I would be really in trouble. Really in trouble. I mean, anyone fighting an actual tank would be in real trouble. Yeah, yeah. I think like Walcott is quite strong. He's you know good physique, good shape. It's the gym. They all name know. him as like a, a fitness freak, don't they? Always the players always say he's the guy who's in the gym all the time. Walcott. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Walcott. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. Walcott, Bellerin, and Welbeck are the ones that come up. But 
I just think, I just think, I don't, it's the psychological thing. I think I could, you know, the mind games, I think I could beat him. Yeah. Mind games. Even three of them. Look over there, Theo. What? And, exactly. and then you run off. Yeah. Exactly. It, it would be difficult, but I think I could manage it. That wouldn't work with Kolasinac because he would pursue you like Principal Skinner pursues Bart on that day that he, he bunks off school. You know that one? Or he Absolutely. just follows him everywhere and Bart's like just looking back. Oh my God, he's everywhere. That's what Colosino would be like before he tears your head off. I don't know if he speaks English either, so the mind games element might be tricky. Um, True. Maybe you could just pronounce his name wrong. I think he'd stop yeah. and get furious. That would, uh, but the problem is that would only infuriate him. I think that would make him more aggressive. This is how you say my name, Seat Kolasinac. He <laughs> sounds nice. That's it. He sounds nice. Um, he does sound actually very friendly. He's, he's got the security that that sort of frame will give you, I guess. Yeah, exactly. You can afford to be that friendly, can't you, when you're that size? That, that could be mm. it. Okay, um, final question, I think, for today uh, comes from Arse Two Mouse, who's at Arse Two Mouse. And he wants to know, is time a flat circle? <sighs> I don't know. I thought it was a cylinder, time. Do you know about what shape time is? I haven't ever thought about time as a shape. But I think it's, is this uh, time as a circle is something to do with Nietzsche, isn't it? That basically you just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. You're destined yeah. to just repeat it's Nietzsche, the same. Nietzsche, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, flat circle means everything that has everything that happens has already happened essentially, right? Um, and will happen again. So this could be obviously tied into watching Arsenal in a very meaningful and significant way. Of course, it feels very much like it is. Um, I actually think it. I mean, I probably do actually believe something like that that everything that has happened is also concurrently happening. So, so you believe in the multiverse theory, like the the idea of parallel dimensions and uh, and that kind of stuff. That that uh, yeah, that's basically yeah, it, isn't it? I've got no basis for it, but you know, some I read it in a book or something. And I was like, oh, that sounds plausible. Is that I quantum mean, being theory an Arsenal or something? Fan, is that what that is? I can't. Remember. I think so. Yeah, but being an Arsenal fan does plenty to sort of you know verify those beliefs. Mm. I mean, it is absolutely infuriating. We are two games into the season. It's probably obvious, it's probably evident to people listening that both you and I are like, oh, I cannot believe we're doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in the other dimensions, James, we've beaten Stoke 5 uh, 0. And uh, other me and other you are really happy. They've had a goodly morning talking about this on their podcast. And we're sitting True. here in this fucking dimension. Can we, get a, can we get a transfer window for their dimensions, please? Because I'd like to go to the other one if that wouldn't be too much trouble. You know, the one where we win every yeah. game and everyone's really happy. Wenger in. People are just delighted with more Wenger, please. Let's have some even greater uh, length of time uh, for Arsene Wenger. But I mean, that could explain, you know, when you go to look for your keys and you can't find your keys. Mm. What if it's like just crossovers of dimensions? In the other dimension, you haven't put your keys there in the bowl in the front hall. And then when you go back out, they're there. And you go, I'm sure I looked there. But that could be just like dimensions molding into one another going, and you don't even realise it. I wonder if the reason we can't sell Macha Debushi is because he's holding out for a move to another dimension. A dimension <laughs> which, <laughs> in a dimension which he is the most prized player in Europe and, you know, worshipped by all fans. PSG uh, have just bought him for £200 million. Pounds. 
that's it. That's what he's holding out for. So, yeah, until that comes along, a club from another dimension, we're going to be stuck with him. Yeah. Dick Law is operating in the wrong dimension, I think. It feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah. It does feel like we are we are operating in our own dimension, transfer market-wise, <laughs> at times. Jesus. The fucking dimension of inaction. The worst dimension. It is. It's, it is actually, of all the dimensions, of all the possibilities, it's a relatively boring one that we're all experiencing For right now. For fuck's sake. Think of all the great dimensions we could be in where there's actual, like, hoverboards, yeah. flying cars, all kinds of magical shit could be going on, and we're stuck in this fucking dimension. With all the shit that goes on in this, oh, what a fucking dud hand life has dealt us. We really pulled the short straw on this one, guys. We sure did. Okay, well, look, we had better leave it there. Um, we have got uh, a game against uh, Liverpool coming up. Is it su- Saturday or Sunday? I should be looking. It's Sunday afternoon. Four o'clock? Mm-hmm. I okay. believe so. All right. Well, How there's... do you feel about those? I know you don't yeah, like the 5 I'm sort of used to those. Used to those, yeah. yeah four o'clock Sunday's all right, you know, because it's Sunday, and yeah, I'm all, I'm all right with that. They're not, that's not too mushroomy for me. Whereas, yeah, the, I don't like the mushrooms of five thirty. So, look, we'll we'll discuss that game and more on the Arscast on Friday. Thanks as ever for listening, and uh, well, look, a problem shared is a problem halved, and all that. So, uh, I presume everybody's feeling much much better now in our shit dimension. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We better get used to it, guys. I feel like this isn't the last defeat we'll have this season. All right, we'll catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.